This is Made to Conquer, a podcast designed to inspire you to have a deep relationship with Jesus. Jesus told us to make every effort to enter through the narrow door so that when we stand before him, we hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Hello, everyone. This is Tiana Showy, and welcome to the podcast Made to Conquer. Now, I'm doing this a little bit out of sync with my traditional cadence, and the reason for that is this is this is just something that has been weighing heavily on my heart. So this is going to be slightly different than the typical format that I follow in that we are going to, which is a great thing, by the way, spend a lot of time in the Word of God today. I want to talk about a topic that I believe has been misunderstood broadly across the Christian spectrum. And I I just want to give this caveat. I have never had the privilege of reading freedom in Christ or going through the Bible study, but I have talked to a lot of people that have, and I heard that this is a central theme of freedom in Christ. And so if this Bible study, or excuse me, if this time together that we go through this word of encouragement that I want to share with you resonates with you, then I suggest you get the Bible study freedom in Christ. So I want to go through and to talk to you guys today about sin and the role that sin should have in our lives after we become born again, spirit-filled Christians. There's this concept and there's this belief, and this is going to, this is going to possibly strike you a little bit odd when I say this, but here's my, here's my ask. Go all the way through this with me, because like I said, we're going to spend a lot of time in scripture. And I'm going to show you what the Bible has to say about the things that I'm going to say. But there's this belief within the body of Christ that you are still a sinner once you are saved. That is not true. And this is this, this, this terminology is really important to understand. You are a new creation in Christ. You are born again, that you are a, a, a holy person that will occasionally sin. You are not still a sinner. There is a big difference. This really struck home for me when I was reading a book by an author named Brene Brown. It's not a Christian book, but Brene Brown is one of the leading psychologists and researchers in the, in these, in the arena of shame and guilt. And at the end of her book, she talks about parenting and she talks about how she separates the action from the child. So for example, when her children make a mess, she says, you are making a mess, not you are messy. Because when you, when you say to somebody, you are messy or you are dirty rather than you have dirt on you, or you are being dirty, <laughs> you then make it a part of their identity. And so when you call yourself a sinner, after you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, you are, you are allowing that to still take root in your identity. This is important spiritually and it's important psychologically. And when I heard Brene Brown make that distinction, it really hit home for me, which is why it is so dangerous for us to still refer to ourselves as sinners. Are we still going to sin? Absolutely. We still need the grace of God every day, which is why Jesus teaches us every day you are, you are to ask the Lord for forgiveness of your sins. Please forgive me for my sins and lead me not into, tempta- into temptation, right? It's something, it's an ongoing battle, but we are not still sinners. We are new creations. And I'm going to go through several passages of scripture with you today to demonstrate this point. So if this sounds weird to you, and if you've never heard this, I ask you to hang in there and listen to this because this should change how you think about yourself as a Christian. If you haven't already dug into these scriptures. So that's, that's my intention for this. And that's why I wanted to do this right now, because 
you know, I spend a lot of time scrolling through social media. It is, uh, it is not something I recommend that you do for free time. I use it very intentionally and I use it as a tool to reach people. Right. And I, I keep seeing a lot of posts about people afraid this is demonic. That's demonic. This is false teaching. That's false teaching. Here's the thing. There's only one way that you can know the difference. And this is what Corinthians tells us. This is what first John tells us. Test the spirits. First Corinthians tells us that one of the benefits of being filled with God's spirit is that you have the discernment of spirits. First John tells us test every spirit because not every spirit is from Christ. In order for you to be able to test and have discernment and wisdom, you have to be filled with God's Holy spirit and you have to be led by his Holy spirit to do that. You have to give your sin nature the backseat where it belongs and where it took when you became a Christian. God has to be seated on the throne of your heart. Where, where, you, where we get into trouble is when we have secret sins, idolization in our heart that is of anything of God. If we hold on to things that don't give God, God in, you know, the space in our lives for God to be God in our lives. This is why Jesus says that the law and the prophets hang on these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and then love people. When you love God, when he is truly your God, when he is the king of your heart, when he is seated in his throne in your, in your being, then, then his Holy Spirit will give you discernment of these things. All of these people running around worried about being deceived are focused on the wrong thing. The word of God is given to us not just to know more about God, but to know more about God so we can know him more. It's all about relationship and it's all about your heart. And that's why I believe this is such a relevant topic to talk about right now, because the quickest way to be deceived is to allow sin a place in your life. And we have, by, by falsely teaching that we are still sinners, we have given a sense of unwarranted and unbiblical justification for sin to still exist in our lives. And so that's what I, I want to dive into this topic with you today. Sorry, I'm a little... Uh, I realize I'm a little, I'm talking a little fast. I'm gonna have to slow myself down a little bit because this is a big topic and we are literally going to go through all of Romans chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven, chapter eight. We're going to go through four whole chapters of the Bible in addition to other passages. So we've got a lot to cover in this short time. I'm going to try to keep a pretty consistent cadence because I don't want this to be a super long podcast. I, I really want to just share with you something in scripture that God has really used to transform my relationship with him. I'm not saying I'm sin-free, but I'm saying I am a, I am an, a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, and sin is not my master any longer. God is. And when I fall short, when I miss the mark, which is what sin means, when I miss the mark, then I come quickly before the throne and I ask for forgiveness and I get back on track. It is. It should be not if I sin, or excuse me, not when I sin, but if I sin. In other words, yes, I'm going to sin, but it should be the exception to the rule because I have now taken on a new nature. And so we're going to talk about that. I'm, I'm far from perfect. Again, I'm not using me as an example, but I'm saying this is how God has transformed my life by, by going through these passages. So as always, I'd like to start by inviting the Lord into this conversation uh, letting him lead it. In fact, not just invite him, but I want him to lead this conversation. So let's pray really quickly, and then we'll dive into we got 13 pages of scripture we're going to go through today. So hang on. We're going to get through it. I promise. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much. Father, we just don't even have even the slightest clue. We, we're just beginning to understand how great you are and what you've truly done for us. But Lord, you tell us that we are more than conquerors through you. 
you tell us that you have given us a new nature, Father, and you have transformed us. You are conforming us into the image of Jesus. And we thank you for that. So Lord, I just give this time to you. And I ask that Holy Spirit, you would lead this conversation, Father, that your truths from your word would reach the hearts and minds of all of us who are listening to this today, Father, that as Peter says, if anybody speaks, let him speak, speak with the words that God provides. And if anybody serves, let him serve with the strength that God provides. Lord, I just ask this, that this would be of you and that the soil that this lands on would be soil that you have prepared to hear this word. Father, we love you. And we just give this time to you in your precious name. I pray Jesus. Amen. All right. Jump with me. If you will, we're going to go straight through. Now, here's one of the things that I think that we often miss as believers. When you're reading the Bible, especially the letters to the churches, we have to remember that we are reading letters and oftentimes our reading through chapters or verses breaks up the flow of the letter and the intent of the author. And so that's why we're going to read through Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, because I want you to see this holistically, the way that it was written, and pretend that the that the verses and the chapters don't exist, and we're going to read it as the letter that it was. So I just, we're going to make three, three distinct points in this, and I'm going to summarize them for you at the end. But the first one is, we are not sinners. We are new creations in Christ, born again, filled with God's spirit. And so let's, let's go through the book of Romans, where Paul makes this painfully clear to us. So we're going to be starting in Romans chapter five, verse 12. And I'm going to read this. I, I chose to present this to you in the New Living Translation, because for the purposes of listening to a podcast, I believe it's easier to hear and understand what is being said when it's in the New Living Translation, because it's a slightly more modernized way of saying it. it doesn't change the context or the meaning. It just makes it easier to listen to. So I'm in the New Living Translation for these, for these passages in Romans. Verse 12, when Adam, sin, sin entered, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread from everyone for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of, one, of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful gift of grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. First, that, that first note, that's in verse 17. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin. Now we're in verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life, new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Now listen to this. 
God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. So that's what the purpose of the law was. It was to give us the ability to understand our sin. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So where sin increased, grace increased all the more is how it would be said in the NIV. Verse 21. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So now we're in chapter six. Well, then should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. This is important. Since we have died to sin. How can we continue to live in it? This is again, chapter six, verse two. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? This is why continuing to call ourselves sinners is an unbiblical doctrine because we are dead to sin. It is not our nature any longer. We have been given a new life. I'm just repeating what we have just read. Okay. So now we're in in six, verse three, or Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we were also joined with him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. That's what the symbol of baptism is. You're dying to your sin nature. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. This is Romans chapter six, verse six. We are no longer slaves to sin. You are not a sinner any longer. You are a new creation in Christ. You were died and buried with Christ by baptism. Verse seven. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. You were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he gives glory. He lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. You are dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Now, this is what Paul says in verse 12. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give into its sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body, your entire body. This is again, Romans chapter 12, offer your body as a living sacrifice. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. It is for freedom. We have been set free. Sorry, I'm throwing in little, I'm throwing in, I'm being like a little index over here, throwing in other scriptures. We're now on verse 15. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. You cannot go on sinning. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? 
I'm going to pause right here. We're in verse 16. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You will love one or hate the other. If you are continuing to serve the master of sin, then you are not serving God as your master and you will end up loving your sin and hating God. That's, that's why Jesus was telling us that. And Paul is reiterating this in the book of Romans. So now we're going to the second part of verse 16. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Verse 17. Thank God. Once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led deeper into sin. Now you must give yourself to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do. Things that in the end, excuse me, things that end in eternal doom. Verse 22, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you choose to do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Verse now, now we're in chapter seven. So this is, again, this is why I wanted to read this as the letter that it was, because this all ties together. And I have seen so many people take what, what we're about to read in chapter seven out of context and use it to justify continuing to sin. And Paul just spent almost two chapters, you know, as we define them, but two huge sections of the letter saying, you're not, you sin has no place in your life anymore. You are not subject to it. You are not a slave to it. You have a new life. That doesn't mean you're not going to miss the mark, but it does mean that it is not your, you are not captive to it. Sin should be, when you sin, it should be against your nature, not in accordance with your nature. This is, this is what, this is what it means to be born again. When you, before you knew Jesus, before you were you know, born again and filled with his Holy Spirit, it was in accordance with your nature to sin. It was the natural thing to do. Once you become a spirit-filled, born-again Christian, it works against your nature to sin. It should be uncomfortable. It should be something you have to push the Holy Spirit to the side to move forward in this sin. I'm not saying that you're not going to have moments where you do things, you know, just randomly without thinking that are sinful in nature. But I can tell you this. Once I understood this and once I, I realized that I wanted to become a slave of righteousness, that I wanted the Holy Spirit to reign in my heart, if I sin, I know I'm sinning. I know I'm making a conscious decision to take the Holy Spirit and shove him to the side and move forward with something. And I know that, or I know that I'm so in the flesh that the Holy Spirit is not leading my heart and my mind in that moment. And that's what Paul is saying to us in this. You are set free from the nature of sin in your life. So now we're in chapter seven. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? So he gives us an example to help us understand how dead we are to sin. Because remember, he said we were crucified, you know, our sin nature was crucified with Christ. When we were baptized, our sin nature died. So what Paul is going to explain to us is what that death means. This is how dead that sin nature is. So we're in chapter seven, verse two, for example, when, so he's saying, okay, you know how the law works. So let me give you an example from the law. So you can understand how dead your sin nature is. For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband, as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the law of marriage no longer applies to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. So 
just keep this in mind. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. When you died to your sin, you took on a new nature and you, you united yourself to God. You, you gave yourself to him. You became his. You no longer belong to this world. You took your worldly nature and you died to it and you gave yourself to a new master, to a new king, to a new Lord. This is why we are called the bride of Christ. We have, we have been, we have given ourselves over to Jesus as our savior, as our king, and as our, as our groom, the one that is going to come back for his bride. Chapter seven, verse four. So my dear brothers and sisters, at this point, you died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. That's what I just said. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. As a result of this, now you could produce much fruit. John chapter 15, abide in me and I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but in me through you, or if you abide in me, I can produce fruit through you. So this is what Paul's saying. You, we can produce a harvest of good deeds. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way, in obeying the letter of the law. This is not a religious thing. We're, not, we're no longer trying to meet the requirements of the law, but in fact, a new way of living in the spirit. And we're going to talk about in just a minute, we're going to go down to Galatians and we're going to look at what it means to live in the spirit, because this is the key. Once you have died to your sin nature and you've given your life to the Lord, the seal that he puts upon your life is his Holy Spirit, which is the ability to now live in this new nature. It's not by our strength. It is it is, it is not by strength nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So Jesus even said this to the disciples when, when they were praying right before the crucifixion. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, which is why we have now been given the ability to be led and, and live through the spirit. So we're in, we're in uh, Romans chapter seven, verse seven. Well, then I am suggesting, well, then, sorry, <laughs> I've had a little bit too much coffee today in case you couldn't notice. <laughs> All right, I'm going to slow down. Well, then. Am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. So again, the purpose of the law is to expose to us our sin. So then we run to the throne of grace for redemption, right? Paul says, I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. But sin used this commandment to arouse all kinds of covet covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have had that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me and it used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. How can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It, it uses God's good commands for its own evil purpose. So what Paul is saying is that God gave us the law so we could understand how wretched sin is. We have to, you know, again, to really say, I don't want this any longer. God gives us the ability to see how much death and destruction it brings in our lives. And that's what Paul's saying. Now, this is the passage of scripture where so many people take out a context to justify their sin. And I'm telling you right now, Paul is not using it to justify his sin. He is using it to prove the point that we are no longer sin. 
sinners once we become born again, spirit-filled Christians. And this doctrine of I can keep sinning and, and love God is so dangerous. That doesn't mean you won't still sin, but it is not your master. And there's a big difference. And so I want to put this passage in the context of everything that we've just read. And the next time you read this passage, don't read it without reading five, six, and all of seven along with it. So we're in Romans chapter seven, 14. Stop taking this out of context. So the trouble is not with the law for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for what I want to do, right? Oh, so, excuse me, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, then this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. But if I do what I don't want to do, am I really the one doing it, doing wrong? Or is it, or is it sin living in me that does it? So here's what Paul said. And I want to re- I want to reread that because I, I put the wrong inflection there. This is verse 20. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. So what Paul is saying is before we were Christians, when, when you struggled with that sin nature where you just couldn't do what you wanted to do, you, you knew what was right, but you didn't do it. You struggled. That struggle was there so we could see that we have a sin nature. It is not justification for how we live after we are saved. So here's where, here's what Paul is going to say about that. So he is giving that as a demonstration because all of us have gone through that at some point in time. All of us have done something that we don't want to do, or we don't do what we do want to do. And we recognize that there is a battle going on in us. What Paul is saying in this passage, which is why he just said, we're dead to sin and we're new creations, is he is saying, this is the battle that that God allows us to see before we are new creations in him. That is how we know that there's something broken. It is not post-salvation. It is pre-salvation. This is really important to understand. This is taken out of context all the time and used to justify bad behavior in the church. And it is so dangerous to take this out of context because it leaves you in that place where you still justify your sin. There is no sin. There's no sinner left in a born again, spirit filled Christian. So we're in, we're in Romans chapter seven, verse 21. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Do you see how important it is to keep those two verses together. We just finished Romans chapter seven and we just began Romans chapter eight. What Paul is saying when he finishes, when, when we finish Romans chapter seven, and this is why we've got to quit breaking up the chapters and read this as a letter is he's saying, you know, before Jesus, I recognize that I am a slave to sin, but then he says, no, there's now no longer con- condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you. You're free. You're not a slave to sin. Stop taking Romans chapter seven out of context. 
And so again, we're, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to go back to Roman, the beginning of eight, because I want to say this again, this is an important, an important scripture. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. And he sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law could be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature. So here's what Paul's saying. If you don't know whether you're dominated by the sinful nature or the spirit, here's his list. We're in Romans chapter eight, verse five. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about those things that please the spirit. I'm going to pause right there. How to be filled by the Holy Spirit by A.W. Tozer. Short read, incredible read. One of the things that Tozer points out in that book that is really great to understand is he says, he said he realized that he wanted to create a space in his mind and heart that attracts the Holy Spirit. You know the things in your life that you don't want God to see in your thought life or in your heart. Those are the things that you must, you must give the Holy Spirit permission to rid from your life because you want, you want him to dwell in your being. And this is what, this is what Paul is saying to us in this passage is that you've got to create a space where the sin nature is dead and the Holy spirit actually wants to dwell. And it is through his spirit that he's going to lead you in this. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy spirit, think about things that please the spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile towards God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under control, under the control of the sinful nature can never please God. I'm going to, I'm going to repeat that verse again. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. You cannot be under the control of your sinful nature and be a born again, spirit filled Christian. And, and if, as I'm saying this, if, if part of you is saying, I don't, I, this is foreign to me. I mean, we'll talk at the end about how you can ask God to change this in you. So that way you are not controlled by your sinful nature any longer. This, and this is why I wanted to go all the way through five and eight in Romans, because here is where Paul teaches us how we live by the spirit now. So we, the first part he dedicates to saying sin's dead. It no longer has control over you, but here's how we live by our new nature in the spirit. So in Romans chapter eight, verse nine, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit. If you have the spirit of God living in you and remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. Verse 10 and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. 
live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba Father, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in His glory, we must also share in His suffering. So Jesus meant take up your cross every day. You are dying to that sinful nature. It does not have room. God's God's spirit is what dominates your heart and your mind from this point going forward. That was my, <laughs> I, I should, I should caveat when I'm speaking and not, and not in the passage, but I'm just trying to add, I'm trying to, again, take more scripture and, and reinforce that this is, this is not just in Romans. This is a, the theme of the new Testament. This is the theme of the Bible. <laughs> One of the major themes of the Bible. So in Romans chapter eight, verse 18, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he, he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of the future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with the eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he had promised us. So I want to pause right there. This is why I'm saying we will still sin because we still live in a body. But what he's saying is through the power of the Holy Spirit that he will transform the sin, sin, our sinful body into a vessel that he uses. And eventually when we get new bodies, we will no longer have this nature or even we will no longer be attached to this corpse that once had a sinful nature. It, and it still does. That's why we will still sin. But again, we're not still, we're not sinners. I know I've said this over and over again, but I think this is so important to just drill home over and over again, because it's, it's been too, I remember for too long, I called myself a sinner and that, that little difference in thinking allowed me, whether it was consciously or not to justify my sin and taking Romans chapter seven out of context allowed me to justify my sin. So we're in verse 24, we were given this hope, but when we were saved, if we already have something, we don't need the hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. That's what we're waiting. That's why Paul says in Philippians for me to live as Christ, but to die is gain. I don't know about you, but I know myself and, and, and every other spirit-filled Christian I know, we are anxiously waiting for Jesus to come back. I'm in no hurry for that day to come sooner than when the bride of Christ is complete. That's what we're waiting for, you guys. That's the reason Jesus has not come back yet is because the full number of people that are, are called to be saved has not yet occurred. We are waiting for the rest of our body to, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life to come into relationship with God. And when that time is complete, then Jesus comes back for us. And that is something that at the heart, once you take on this new nature, there's something inside of you that yearns, longs for that day that you get to bow before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You get to see Jesus and his glory. That's what I love about the book of Revelation is we get to see Jesus and his glory. Any spirit-filled Christian yearns for that. We, we want to do our job here on earth. We want to be faithful with what God has given us. We are in no hurry to rush that timeline, but we yearn, we long for God. That that is what Paul said when he said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. 
All right. So now we're in Romans chapter eight, verse 26, and we're going to finish up Romans chapter eight, and then we're going to jump into several other passages. I know I'm going through a lot with you today, but I think this is so important because I'm telling you right now, we cannot have sin in our lives. We have to execute it. We have to die to it. We have to, we have to take these passages seriously because we are entering into a new season. The world is changing. God is moving powerfully. If you're paying attention, things are happening all around the world. I'm seeing record numbers of salvation, people hungry for God in a way I've never seen. There, this is the time. Now is the time to be plugged into God. There's no more waiting. Do not hold back. And that is why I I just felt this urgency to, to come before you now, because when you give sin a place in your life, you will end up being deceived. There's a major, the book of revelation tells us there's a major deception coming. There's a major deception coming and and the Bible teaches us that the way that we test the spirits is through the Holy Spirit. We have to give him that ability to be the nature that we walk in, to be that thing that leads us so we can test the spirits and know when, when the deception comes in. You guys, there are record numbers of fake messiahs coming all over Israel. If you, if you, um, it's hard to find in, in the news, but if you actually Google it, you'll start to see that there's record number of false messiahs showing up. We've got all kinds of things happening that are beginning to lead us towards the prophecies that we've been told. I don't, you know, as, as, as we were reminded in the book of Peter, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. We don't know when that day is going to be, but Jesus told us to pay attention to the season. And I can tell you right now that the season is changing. Every spirit-filled Christian knows this in our heart. We know this deep within our bones. And that is why I have this sense of urgency to encourage you in this word, to encourage you to let go of every bit of anything that is holding you back from giving everything to God, because I promise you that I said this in the last podcast, that weeping and gnashing of teeth, that mourning that you will experience for not giving God everything. I I promise you it will be more painful than anything you're going to let go of right now. You do not want to be one of the ones that stands on the outside and says, I wish I had known. I wish I, I wish I had done. I wish I had given it up. Don't, don't please give God everything right now. Trust Jesus with everything. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in all things. So this is Romans chapter eight, verse 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit will pray for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the father who knows all hearts knows that the spirit is what the spirit is saying for the spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be called the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with him. So in other words, he called you, he gave you right standing, and now he has given you Um, And he, and having given them right standing, he gave them glory. Verse 31, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us? whom God has chosen for his own, no one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or are destitute or are in danger or are threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killing every day and are being slaughtered like sheep. No, 
Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor neither our fears for today, nor our worries tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in, revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So that is, I, we just covered a lot. And I know that I wanted, I wanted us to read that like it was written to the church, to the early churches. It was not chapters. And we too often take those chapters and we break it up. And then we miss the context of that scripture, which is why I thought it was important. Now, we're going to do the same thing in first John, because in first John, he says the exact same thing, but in a slightly different way. John, the disciple that God loved, that Jesus loved. <laughs> John is the, he talks a lot about love. And if you read the, if you read the gospel of John and, or first, second and third John, you'll see love is a central theme for John. So this is, this is really important. John reiterates what Paul says in Romans. So first John, we're going to start in, in chapter one, verse five. This is the message we heard from Jesus. Remember John spent time with Jesus. He he's, you know, obviously he was one of his disciples. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. So, so in other words, you can't say that you are walking with God and still have sin as, you know, a, a spiritual living in spiritual darkness. You can't be living in that. Now, this is, this is, um, you know, this is an important passage we're going to get into, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. And this is what Paul's saying. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so you will not sin. <laughs> okay. So get this. We often, again, miss this connection here. He's saying, yes, you have sin in your life. And yes, you need to ask Jesus for forgiveness, but I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before our father. He is Christ Jesus, the one who is truly righteous. Okay. So here's what, here's what John is saying. You should not be sinning, but if you sin, not when, if you sin, this is John chapter two, verse one. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the father. He is Christ Jesus, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims I know God, but doesn't obey his commandments, which are what? Love the Lord your God and love people. That person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Guess what Jesus didn't do? Sin. <laughs> All right. We're in chapter, we're in first uh, John chapter two, verse seven. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment to you. Rather, is an old one you have heard from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it, for the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims I am living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Do you hear that? <laughs> 
Again, you cannot say that you are living in the light and still have these, still have this darkness in you. Again, I want to read verse nine again. If anyone claims I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. If anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not, oh, sorry, I misread that. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. Verse 12, I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I am writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I am writing to you who are young in the faith because you won your battle with the evil one. I am writing to you who are God's children because you know the father. I have written, oh, excuse me. He said written. I have written to you who are mature. So let me go back to verse 14 because that's a different conjugation of that word. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ Jesus who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won the battle with the evil one. He says in verse 15, do not love this world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the father, but of the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So what John is saying there is that when you love the world, that's partially, that's what sin is, right? It's, it's, it's loving that satisfaction of the flesh over the Holy spirit. He's saying, you know, then that you don't have the love of the father in you. All right. I know we just covered a lot of information, but I still want to continue on this path. We're going to go through two more shorter passages, much shorter passages of scripture. And, and then, then we're going to talk about what it looks like when you are living according to your new nature. So first Corinthians chapter six, verses eight through 10. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or are greedy people or are drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 8 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 through 18. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we were once regarded as Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, now this is important to understand. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So those past two uh, ch um, chapter verses that I just read were from the NIV. And so what, what it, the first thing is to understand that if you are living in willful sin, which is what that list of sins in Corinthians was, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God <laughs> because we just, we were just told by Romans and we were just told by, by John, if, if these things are in your life, you're not living for God. And, and now I just want to be clear about something. 
you know, one of the things that happens as a believer is as you mature and as you give God more and more room in your life to be God, you have less and less love for these things. It is a process. You're not going to wake up overnight and never have a desire for these things. And and, and you will always have, you know, there's always that part of you that wants to go, Hey, Hey, Hey. And you have to learn how to silence that voice. So it's a process in, in recognize that. But, but what, what really matters is what your heart is saying, what your heart is doing, Lord, I want to live in this. I want to give this to you and that you are then being obedient. And that's what John was saying is that you have to be obedient, but this is what's so important. We are a new creation in Christ. We have been born again. That's what all of all of that we read in Romans. That's what it means to be born again. When Nicodemus came to talk to Jesus, he said, unless you are born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This is such an important conversation to have right now in these times when when, when there's going to be a great battle, there is a great battle occurring between good and evil right now. And we have to make sure that we don't pollute what God has bought for us, what Jesus bought on the cross with the world. This is sacred. Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? This is the sacred dwelling of God. Do not allow evil a place in God's dwelling for all the reasons that we just read. So I've mentioned before, that it is for freedom that Christ set us free. That's from the book of Galatians. So now I want to talk about what it looks like when you are living filled with God's spirit. So we just talked about why you don't, why we are no longer sinners, why we are new creations. Now let's look at what it looks like when we're living for God. So we're going to jump into Galatians chapter five, and we're going to go through this chapter because I think this is an important chapter to understand. Again, these were letters. So breaking up the chapters and verses causes us to miss some key context. And so in Galatians chapter five, Verse one, at last we have freedom for Christ has set us free. We must always cherish this truth and firmly refuse to go back to the bondage of our past. Hebrews chapter 12 says it this way. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So that's what Paul's saying. Don't go back to the bondage of your sinful nature. I, Paul, tell you, if you think there is benefit in circumcision and Jewish regulations, then you're acting as though Christ is not enough. I say it again emphatically. If you let yourselves be circumcised, you're obligated to fulfill every single one of the commandments and its regulations of the law. What he's saying is that religion is not the answer to this problem. Religion never solved sin. That's what that whole passage in chapter seven is. Is religion always, you know, the law always just showed us our sin, but it was never the fulfillment of, of the issue. Jesus is the fulfillment of the issue. Galatians 4, if you want to be made right with God by fulfilling the obligations of the law, you have to cut off more than your flesh. You have to cut yourselves off from Christ and have fallen away from the revelation of grace. But we have the true hope that comes from being made right with God. And by the spirit, we eagerly await for this hope. When you're joined to the anointed one, to Jesus, circumcision, <laughs> And religious obligations can benefit you nothing. I'm going to say that again. This is verse six, Galatians five, verse six. When you are joined to the anointed one, anointed one, that's Jesus, circumcision and religion, religious obligations can benefit you nothing. All that matters now is living in the faith that works and expresses itself through love. Sings up exactly with what we just read in First John. Before you were led astray, you were so faithful. Who has deceived you so that now you have turned from what is right? So again, he's addressing the, the Galatians who have been tempted back into religion. That's what the context of this letter is. The one who enfolded you into his grace is not behind this false teaching that you've embraced. This is a warning against religion. 
don't you know that when you allow even a little lie into your heart, it can permeate your entire belief system? Deep in my heart, I'm confident that the Lord who lives in you will bring you back around to truth. And I am convinced that those who trouble you, whoever they think they are, will bear the penalty. Dear friends, why do you think the religious system persecutes me? And this is a whole nother topic for another day, but I'm going to do a podcast on the religious spirit versus God's spirit. They are constantly at war with each other. And you would be surprised at how many different ways the religious spirit manifests itself. And sometimes I see things where we, where we criticize other Christians, or we call certain biblical things that, or or worship songs that are truly amazing worship songs, demonic. That is the religious spirit in, in working against the Holy spirit. I'm going to get into that at some point, because I think it's important for us to understand how dangerous the religious spirit is and how much it works against what God's trying to do. Getting back into verse 11. It is because I preach the message of being circumcised and keeping all the laws of Judaism. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. Let me start over. Dear friends, why do you think the religious system persecutes me? Is it because I preach the message of being circumcised and keeping all the laws of Judaism? Not at all. Is there no longer any offense over the cross? To tell you the truth, I am so disgusted with all your agitators. I wish they would go even further and cut off their legalistic influence from your lives. That's a nice way of uh, what Paul says in the NIV is, I wish they would emasculate themselves is what he says. He's very angry about the fact that they're putting a religious burden on him. Because again, Satan's going to try to deceive you in two ways. He's either going to put a religious burden on you, or he's going to introduce you to very dangerous demonic new age teachings, which are, there is no law, do whatever you want, live for what feels good. It's either going to be a bunch of religion or a bunch of bullhawk. In the middle, we live for the spirit. The truth is we live through the spirit. The truth is we live to please God. That's the truth. That's what we just read. So verse 13, beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom, but we don't view this wonderful freedom as an excuse to set up base of operations in the natural realm, constantly love each other and be committed to serve one another for all the law can be summarized on this one great statement. And we know this demonstrate love to your neighbor even as you care and love for yourself. But if you continue to criticize and come against each other over minor issues, you're acting like wild beasts trying to destroy one another. Let me emphasize this. As you yield to the dynamic life and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. This is what we just talked about in Romans. When your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit, you hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your self-life from dominating you. So then the two are incompatible and conflicting forces within you. Excuse me, sorry. So then the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the Spirit. But when you yield to the life of the spirit, you know, you will no longer be living under the law, but soaring above it. Again, we have this decision to make, to to be made. That's why the baptism is such a significant symbolism, because what we're saying is I have made the decision that I'm not going to give in to the forces of my self-life. Instead, I'm going to now give in to the, to the calling of the Holy Spirit. It is a daily decision, but the symbolism that we made when we got baptized, when we asked Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, is we said, I've now made that decision once and for all. And every day when I wake up, I'm remaking that decision. I'm ma- I'm recommitting to that as being my course of action. I'm not a sinner any lo- longer. I'm a new creation. God's spirit lives within me and he drives my heart and my mind and my soul. And I am, I'm living in obedience to that. Remember, if you, if you love God, you will obey him. And so here's here's what here's how we know the difference. And I'm actually reading this from the Passion Translation because I think that 
that this is well said in the passion translation, the behavior of the self life is obvious, sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, chasing after things instead of chasing God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments, resentment when others are favored, temper tantrum, temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, being in love with your own opinions, being envious of blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all other similar behavior. Haven't I already warned you that those who use their freedom for these things will not inherit the kingdom realm of God? So again, this is again, if you have these things in your life, you are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's what, that's Paul's warning here. We are in Galatians chapter five, verses 22 through 23. Now this, this is important for two reasons. This is how we judge ourselves to say, am I living according to the spirit? But it's also how we can tell a tree by its fruit. Jesus says, judge a tree by its fruit. That's the only type of judging we're supposed to do. Not, not anything else. And it, and it, again, the concept of judging a tree by its fruit is not to say who's going to get into heaven, who's not, who's not right or wrong, but am I going to eat of this fruit or not? <laughs> is this going to be something I accept into my heart or not? And that's what judging a tree by its fruit means. It, it, it's not judging to say, ah, that person's bad. That No, it's saying to yourself, is this something I, is this a person I would receive from or don't receive from? Test the spirits. Is this a spirit that, is this God's spirit or is this not God's spirit? That's, that's what this, this is important about. So these are the things that we know. These are, this is what should be demonstrated in our lives and in the lives of people who are led by God. This is what it looks like. But the fruit but the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love and all its varied expressions. My disciples will be known by their love, Jesus said. So these are this is what the divine love varied in all its expressions looks like. Joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities for these are meant to be limitless. Keep in mind that we who belong to Christ Jesus have already experienced crucifixion. This is back what we talked about in Romans for everything connected with our self life was put to death on the cross and crucified with the Messiah. If the spirit is the source of our new life, we must also allow the spirit to direct every aspect of our lives. I'm going to say that again, verse 25, Galatians chapter five, verse 25. If the spirit is the source of our new life, we must also allow the spirit to direct every aspect of our lives. So we may never be arrogant or look down on another for each of us is an original. We must forsake all jealousy that diminishes the value of others. (sighs) That is a lot to go through. And I thank you guys for being patient with me, but I wanted to hit two things. I wanted to make it painfully clear from the scripture that we do not have a sin nature anymore, that we died to that. And then we choose every day to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. This is why Jesus closes every single letter in the book of Revelations. He who has ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And then I wanted to talk about what a life filled with the Holy Spirit looks like. We love people. We are led by him. God leads through our every, every action. We 
We have joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. That's from the Passion Translation. Another way of saying it is the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This is from the NLT. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So I wanted to close... Believe it or not, we're wrapping up. Thank you guys for hanging in there. This is important stuff though. This is really important stuff. And again, the reason I do this is to encourage you, encourage you to get closer to God, encourage you to spend more time with you, with him, encourage you to dig into the word of God, encourage you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you, encourage you to ask the Lord to give you ears to hear and eyes to see, because I'm going to, I'm going to close this off by reading the last few verses that Jesus says to each church in the book of Revelation, chapter two and chapter three. And I I strongly suggest if you've never taken the time to study Revelation chapter two and three, do it because there's something in every letter that applies to every, every believer in some way, in some season in our lives. And I think these letters are such important, such important things for us to understand. So we, so we don't miss what God wants for us. So I am going to close this by reading these, the last few bits that Jesus said to each church so that way we enter into this next this next season with the right mindset the right heart and 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 truly give god the place of god in our lives to the church in ephesus revelation 2 verse 7 anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches to everyone who is victorious i will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of god to the church of smyrna Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. To the church of Pergamum, verse 17, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except for the one who receives it. To the church in Thyatira, But I have this message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching, the deeper truths as they call them, the depths of Satan, actually. I will ask nothing more of you except for that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority. I receive from my father and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone who hears must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. We're now revelation chapter three to the church in Sardis, verse 24. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching, the deeper truths as they call them. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I just read that. (laughs) Um, I don't know why I put that in Sardis. I got my notes a little bit mixed up. Sorry about that. Uh, So to the church, I guess I did not get the church of Sardis in here. I apologize. I'm I'm working from notes. Usually I have my Bible. So we're just going to jump over to the church of Philadelphia. So go behind me. I got my notes wrong and read what he says to the church of Thyatira since I missed that. And now we're going to go to Revelation 3, the church of Sardis excuse me, Philadelphia, it was Sardis that I missed. All right, Philadelphia, because you have obeyed my commandment to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. 
All who are victorious will become pillars in my temple, in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. Why is that important? Better is one day in the courts of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. I'm quoting from Psalms. Back to the back to Revelation. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To the church in Laodicea, this is Revelation 3, verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. To those who are victorious, will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears must hear what the spirit and uh, excuse me, sorry. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. You guys, Jesus says it to every, all seven of the churches, anyone with ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying. And I apologize that I messed up Sardis. Go back and read Sardis. If I had it in front of me, I'd read it right now but I don't want you guys to have to wait for me to pull that up. But again, my bit of encouragement to you is to understand what Jesus bought for you on the cross. It wasn't just salvation and, and, and forgiveness of sins, but it was freedom from sin. It was the ability for the Holy Spirit to dwell within you so you could be led by him. And so you may say, okay, I went through what what the Bible says about that. I talked about what it looks like. I talked about what Jesus says. He, he was here. So how do you do that? Pray, Lord, give me ears. Show me what must happen for the Holy Spirit to lead my life. Show me anything in my life that is between you and I. Rid me of anything that is standing between you and my God. Cleanse me. It, this, you know, there are so many scriptures that, that talk about this. Search me and know me if there's any false way within me. Make God your God. Love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Read Proverbs verse four, or excuse me, read Proverbs four, chapter four, verse 23 through the end. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. It all begins and ends with your heart. I know that we went through a lot. I'm sorry that I talked so fast, but I knew we had a lot of material to go through. I just, it, I just felt this such a strong urgency to remind you guys of who you are in Jesus. We are more than conquerors. We are made to conquer. That's why I named this podcast Made to Conquer. We are more than conquerors, as Roman tells us, as Romans tells us. The life that we've been given in the spirit has, has complete and total power over sin in our lives. It should be a matter of if we sin, not when. Love God, obey him, recklessly abandon. I say this word a lot, recklessly abandon, recklessly abandon everything to him. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure hidden in a field. He sold everything he had to buy that field, sell everything you have to invest your treasure in heaven because Jesus is worth it. Excuse me. If you can hear my stomach rumbling, Jesus is worth it. He's the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's the good shepherd. He's the alpha. He is the omega. He is the I am, and he will come in glory. And I promised you, you want to be one of the ones with his name written on you. You want to be one of the ones clothed in the righteousness that he bought for you. You want to be one of the ones that when we come back with him in the book of revelation, when he says that, when he brings back with his army, you want to be one of the ones standing behind Jesus in that, in that March.
He is so glorious. He is so wonderful. He is so beautiful. He is so great. His love for you is so profound. He created you in his image and he wants you in his kingdom. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus nailed it on the cross. Leave it there and follow him. Pick up your cross, deny yourself and give yourself to him because I promise you what is waiting for you on the other side will be worth anything it costs you on this life. Getting really emotional because I don't think there are not enough. I cannot plead with you enough. There's nothing. There's nothing in this world. There's nothing in your sin nature. There is nothing that you're holding on to that is more precious than what Jesus has for you. God loves you so much. He wants you. He wants fellowship with you. And he, he, he's gone. He's made every way possible. I stand at the door and knock. Open that door for him. Hold nothing back. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. God, we just, like, as I said before, we just don't even know. But Lord, we trust you. That is what faith is. It is being sure of what we can't see, what we don't always understand, but we know you. We trust in you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray for everybody who's hearing these words today. Father, I just ask that right now your Holy Spirit would come powerfully upon them. Jesus, you say to us in the book of Joel that in the last days, you will pour out your spirit upon your people. Lord, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to be poured out upon everybody who's listening to this. Father, and that they would be led by you, that 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 their new creation, that they're, that they would be born again and spirit-filled and led by your spirit that all the things that we read about in Romans and John and Galatians, that those would become manifest in the lives of everybody listening to this. And Father, that by abiding in you and you and them, that they would produce a great crop. Jesus, we long for the day that you come back and bring us home. We are anxiously awaiting, but until then, Father, may our lives be in your hands, in your care, so you can produce a fruit through them. So that way you can bring as many to salvation so that all of those whose names are written in your, in your book would, would come and be a part of this body. Lord, show us what we must do. Give us the work of our hands. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that through your spirit, you made this possible, not by strength, nor by power, but by your spirit. You are such a good God. We love you, and we pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys. Get on your knees. Chase after God. He is the one worthy of your love and affection. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Made to Conquer. Please be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends and family, anyone else you think would enjoy joining us on this journey of drawing closer to Jesus.